delighted that you're here. We have visitors again. We're glad that you've come and hope you can come back and be with us at other times, as already been mentioned. We began a series of studies that I'm calling simply, Is It Sin? We began that last week. And we're raising the question, is it a sin to drink? Is it a sin to dance? Is it a sin to gamble? Is it a sin to have premarital sexual relations? Is it a sin to be involved in homosexuality? Wear short attire. Not necessarily will those studies go in that order or necessarily cover uh, only those things. We're going to see where we go as we proceed. And so in our first study, we raised the question, is it a sin to drink? Tonight, we want to raise the question, is it a sin to dance? We began last time by looking at the question of what constitutes sin. Before we begin to embark upon the answer to any of these questions, we need to raise the question, what constitutes sin? And we noted in our study last time that sin is a violation of the law of God. We noted that in 1 John 3 and in verse 4. We see the same principle alluded to in Romans chapter 4 and in verse 15. Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. And so if God's law is transgressed or violated, then that constitutes sin. For sin to be constituted, it doesn't have to be specifically stated that something is a sin. In other words, it doesn't have to say, thou shalt not, or this is a sin, and call it by name, if it violates some principle in Scripture, and it consequently violates the law of God, it constitutes sin. So let's raise this question, is it a sin to dance? Our question is, is it wrong to dance? Is it wrong to go to the prom? Is that wrong? Is that sinful? So the question is, why can't a Christian go to the dance or go to a prom? How can we say that dancing is wrong when there is no passage that specifically condemns it? In other words, we cannot find a passage that says, thou shalt not dance. We can't find a passage that says dancing is a sin. We can't find a passage that said the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, fornication, adultery, dancing, doesn't mention it that way. So how can we say it's a sin? And why is it that some Christians see nothing wrong with dancing and even encourage it? In fact, there have been places among our brethren where almost everyone in the congregation who had children of the age in high school to go to the prom, they all went to the prom. Very few, if any, would not go to the prom. How is that? How can those who are the people of God say there's nothing wrong with it? Why do they say there's nothing wrong with it? We seek to answer that before we're through. The world thinks it's an innocent thing. And even some of our brethren think dancing is an innocent thing. Nothing wrong with it at all. So is it wrong to go to the school prom? There are those who know dancing is wrong, but have no clue about how to go about proving it to be wrong. They would tell their children, you can't go to the dance, it's wrong, it's sinful. But they wouldn't know where to go begin to show from the scriptures that indeed it is sinful. So why do people do things like dancing? Well, any of the sins that we're going to be talking about, I want to suggest to you that people often live like they want to live, no matter what the scriptures may say. No matter what principles are involved, people will pretty much do what they want. Evidence of that, go back to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 17 and in verse 6, and then later at the end of the book in chapter 21 and verse 25, the text says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
That's no different in our own day and time. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. In the day of Isaiah, Isaiah made this point in chapter 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness and bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, there's always been a problem in the world of people saying, here's something that the Bible labels as wrong, I think it's good. And what the Bible may label as good, they label it as something indeed as sinful or evil. Christians are not exempt from that same concept of doing what they want to do in spite of whatever the scriptures may have to say. So let's develop our study now by raising first of all the question, what is dancing? Let's define our subject. In other words, we can't just launch into saying dancing is sinful if we don't understand what we mean by dancing. And those lessons that have been presented over the years, not only here, but all across the nation, even in denominational pulpits. In fact, some of the best material you'll find on dancing years ago would be from denominationalists who preached against dancing. Had numerous lessons on dancing. But we need to define what were we talking about in those studies? What is it that we're talking about when we talk about dancing? So let's define dancing. Here's a couple of encyclopedias that have suggested here's what that means, or a dictionary and an encyclopedia. Groyer said it means dance is an expression in rhythmic movement of an intensified sense of life arising from an inner perception that stimulates both mind and body. Well, let's go again to the American Heritage Dictionary. The American Heritage Dictionary says it means to move rhythmically to music, using prescribed or impoverished steps and gestures. Well, that gives us a concept of what dance itself may involve, but let's go a little further and raise the question of what's involved in the dance that's under consideration of our study. There are three things I want you to notice. First of all, generally it involves close bodily contact. Secondly, it involves moving in rhythm to the music, and it usually involves a romantic atmosphere of lights and music and revealing attire. Not always, but quite often it does. I'm most interested in the first of those elements, and that is the close bodily contact. We're talking about a dance that involves close bodily contact. That is where the boy and the girl or the man and the woman are dancing together in close bodily contact. They're moving in rhythm to the music. There is a romantic atmosphere of lights and music, etc. But we want to focus on this close bodily contact. Let's talk about what we're not talking about. We might use the word dance in the sense, and the Bible even uses it in this sense, of meaning to leap or to skip about in excitement. You might be at a ball game and you might be jumping up and down in excitement at the scoring of your team and you might even jump around and someone said, boy, you were dancing around. And you say, well, yeah, I was. Is that what we're talking? No, we're not talking about that. The Bible even uses the term dance in that sense. We're not talking about dance that's either approved or not specifically condemned in the Bible. We're going to look at a number of references a little bit later. Here's a sampling of that where Miriam danced. For example, in Exodus chapter 15, there was music and dancing when the uh, prodigal son came back in Luke chapter 15. David, for example, danced. We're not talking about the kind of dance that those passages are talking about, and we'll specify what kind of dance might be involved. So what are we talking about? Again, we're talking about a dance that involves close bodily contact, moving in rhythm to the music, where is this romantic atmosphere of lights and music, and at times dresses are tight and quite often revealing. 
Again, our focal point is on the close bodily contact that's involved in dance. Now, let's secondly move to this. Let's raise the question, what is the appeal of the dance? What is the appeal? What is it that gives the dance its drive? And what is the appeal of that? I'm not suggesting that the answer I'm about to give is true of every single person every time they dance. In fact, we'll look at some exceptions to that as we go along, at least some who make that claim. And the answer to the question is it is sexual appeal. And I want to give some testimony, not from your old fogey grandmother or some gospel preacher somewhere that has wanted to preach against that. I'm going to give you some quotations from people of the world. In fact, some ungodly people who give this testimony. For example, you don't get much worse than J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover said the most juvenile crime has its inception in the dance hall, either public or private. You may not agree with him on that, but what I'm going to show you is there are a number of others who are involved in the dance business who said much the same kind of thing. Here is a man who's not writing from the standpoint of Scripture. He's not speaking from the standpoint of a Bible class teacher. He's not speaking from the standpoint of advising his child. He's saying from the standpoint, if you don't know who J. Edgar Hoover was, he was the director of FBI back in the 60s. And that he is speaking from the standpoint of crime that it had its inception on the dance floor, he suggests. Professor Wilkinson of Chicago University said it is a system of means contrived with more than human ingenuity to excite in the instinct of sex action. He said much the same thing that Hoover had said. Here was a former supervisor, Vorner. T.A. Vorner, former supervisor of the Dancing Academy in California, said, no woman can waltz well and waltz virtuously. Well, there was something about a sexual appeal to the dance. Dr. Gibson said, J.P. Gibson said, among those who dance, it is noteworthy that few girls spend much time dancing with other girls. Neither do men dance with their own wives nor brothers with their own sisters. The secret of the popularity of dancing, or is it a secret? is the exciting sexual stimulation resulting from the close embrace of male and female, whether it be with music and dancing or without music and petting and necking. Again, these are worldly people, at least by our standards. Here is something that goes back a number of years, but the, the principle hasn't changed. A booklet called uh, Dance We Must from a series of lectures given by Ted Sean at George Peabody College for teachers. Another motive for the dance is the sexual motive. The dance has always been used as a means of expressing sexual desire and as a means of wooing. We find this same sex motive in the modern ballroom dance, which is now degenerated into dull and stupid forms, but it is a legitimate opportunity for contact. Now you may not say, you may say, well, I, I disagree with some of those. It's interesting that numerous worldly people, we're not talking about gospel preachers or your grandma, we're talking about some worldly people who are saying this is true of the dance. Here's an interview with Arthur Murray. He said, why has the ballroom dancing declined? Murray responds, since dancing is based on sexual flirtation, and since young people have no problem with sexual flirtation, dancing has taken a backseat to the backseat. This only confirms what we all know that dancing leads from the ballroom to the bedroom. Mark Wisner, Ph.D., said in his article, Where, uh, When the Answer is Not Tonight, think about the activities that lead to sex. He said, a dark, clouded room with whispers of delight in the dance floor and a proven, is a proven place for the struggling couple, a romantic dinner with bands, candles, and the right foods. said much the same thing. I'm just trying to give you compounding evidence of the 
appeal to dance is indeed sexual. The Medical Review of America said there can scarcely be any doubt that dancing came about as an adjunct to sex sexual stimulation. Here's from the New York Times. That's not hardly a conservative concept. Uh, the New York Times Magazine said the drawing power of the disco attributed to its progressive sexuality and the promoters pinpointing sexual appeal as the lifeblood of the fad. There's another quotation from Arthur Murray in the Chicago Tribune. I don't think the ballroom dancing will ever return in pop uh, to popularity. People have always thought it was a prelude to sex, but people don't need preludes anymore. And on we could go. I won't read this full quotation. This quotation is taken from uh, Louis Guyon, the owner and operator of Chicago's largest ballroom. And he simply says in this lengthy quotation, without me reading the details, I can share that with you if you wish, that when you have involved, involved in the dancing, there is the evolving of cheek to cheek and entwining the limbs and essentially saying it has its sexual appeal. So what's involved in the dance? It's a sexual appeal. If you remove the sexual, you would kill the dance. In other words, what if you took away and said, we're going to have a dance, there can be no close bodily contact. There can be no lewd movements and no boys dancing with girls. You would utterly kill the dance. If a young man takes your daughter to the, do to the prom, the parents stand back in pride that our daughter has gone to the prom. Let's get pictures. We want to post pictures on Facebook of them going to the prom. If the same young man was involved in the, involved in the same action in the living room without music, they'd send him home because they'd think he's being too fresh with her. If you walked in a room and you saw boys dancing with boys, what would you conclude? What if you went to a prom, but you all, what you saw was all the boys are dancing with other boys and the girls were dancing with other girls in close bodily contact with some lewd gyrations? Would you think they were gay? My question is, why would you think that? Why? Does that answer your question? Now, I'm going to quickly share some pictures with you. And I'm going to quickly, because I don't want the young kids focusing on the pictures, but here's some pictures from the internet of school proms. And what I want you to notice is, is there close bodily contact involved in the dance? Think that's involved? You think close bodily contact is involved in the modern dance? And the answer is yes. So I know what dancing is. I know the appeal. Let's talk about principles that condemn the dance. Now I want to start in a strange place because I want to start in Luke 7, which has nothing to do with dancing. But it has everything to do with how the Bible teaches. Let's just talk about a principle. Let's just pause our study of dancing and talk about how the Bible teaches. So let's go to Luke chapter 7. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, said to Jesus, uh, calling to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now get the picture. John's disciples come to him, and they tell, Here's what we're seeing, and here's what we're hearing. And so he says to two of the disciples, Come to me, and I want to talk to you. I want you to go to Jesus, and I want you to ask him a question. What's the question we need to ask him? Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one prophesied in the Old Testament? And so when the men, verse 20, came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? 
And at that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and many blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers uh, are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I want you to notice something in this text. There was no direct statement, Jesus said, in answer to the question, Are you the coming one? He didn't say, Yes, I am. He didn't say, no, I'm not. He didn't even say, according to the text at least, I want to give you evidence that I am. Are you the coming one was the question. So here's the question. Are you the coming one? What Jesus did in response was merely work miracles. They could have easily gone away and said, well, you know, he never answered our question. He got busy doing the stuff he does that we've been hearing about, seeing about those who are sick. Except, I don't know what he was doing over there, but he didn't answer our question. But he did answer their question. He didn't answer directly their question. In other words, he gave them miracles, and they were from those miracles to draw the conclusion that he is the coming one. What I'm trying to suggest to you is the Bible does not always teach directly by saying, dancing is a sin, gambling is a sin. But it states principles that would be violated by those actions. So we're not going to find a passage that said, if you have close bodily contact between males and females, therefore you've committed sin. But you're going to find principles that talk about that. So let's list what those principles are. Let's start with the principle of lasciviousness. So where is the Bible talk? Where does the Bible talk about dancing? Well, the Bible doesn't mention dancing much, but it does mention it in four different types of dance. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Well, let's talk about lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? Let's start with this word lascivious, and we find passages that condemn lasciviousness. So whatever it is, whatever it includes, whatever it involves, it's sin. So let's, we are familiar with these texts. Galatians 5 and verse 19. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are, and then listed in those lists, in that list of a catalog of sins, is lasciviousness. Those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, 1 Peter 4, 3 ought to sound familiar because we studied that in Bible class this morning. We've wasted enough of our life doing the will of the Gentiles, walking in licentiousness or lasciviousness or lewdness, your translation may say. It's the same word. Well, we see the same thing without going in detail with Romans 13 and 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 7. Lasciviousness is wrong. Well, let's define lasciviousness. We could quote from numerous lexicographers. But Thayer, you recognize as a well-respected lexicographer, says it means unbridled lust. Now, let's just stop there. If the, the dance, the modern dance, has a sexual appeal, then that involves unbridled lust. But he goes further, saying wantonness, shamelessness, wanton acts or manners. It would include filthy words. Notice he said, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. Now, if that doesn't describe the modern dance, I'm not sure what would. Unchaste handling of males and females, the bodies intertwined, close bodily contact, indecent bodily movements. That is what's involved in lasciviousness. Well, here's how that word is used. That word is used with reference to sensuality. In Bible class this morning, we talked about 1 Peter 4, 3. Some said their translation said sensuality instead of lasciviousness. So it does involve sensuality. 
BDAG says that's what it means, the New American Standard so translates that. Sensuality has to do with that which leads to lust. So what principle condemns this close bodily contact involved in dance? Lasciviousness does, but that's not all. The Bible also tells us to flee lust. Let's look at a couple of passages that may tell us that. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lust. Here is lust that may be peculiar to those in their youth, and he said flee youthful lust. Whatever flee means, that's what you're to do with lust. Well, we see the same principle in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to tie that passage in a couple of ways to our study. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain or flee from sexual immorality. And then he said, not in passions of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So what is he telling us? That you may know how to present, look back at verse 4, that you may know how you ought to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. You ought to abstain or flee from sexual immorality, but you, in order to do that, you abstain or flee from lust, as he mentions. So does Colossians 3, 5 say essentially the same thing. What does the word flee suggest? Strong says it means to run away, to shun, or to escape. So fleeing lust doesn't mean you get as close as you can to that without committing that. Fleeing lust doesn't mean I, I want to do anything short of lust, but I don't want to commit lust. It means you run as far from it as you can. You flee from it, you shun it, or you escape lust. Now, you think of the close bodily contact, that unchaste handling of males and females, the intertwining of their bodies, in movement and rhythm to the music, in a romantic atmosphere, how could you at all be fleeing lust when the sexual drive is what gives the, the dance the drive that it has? Here's another principle. Any passage that says flee fornication, you say, but, but dancing and fornication are not the same thing. I recognize that. But let's start with 1 Corinthians 6 and in verse 18. The text says to flee fornication. Now again, flee has, as we've already defined it, has to do with running away from things that lead to that. So if here is something that has a sexual drive, that's its appeal, how can I be fleeing and running from fornication when this is what leads to that lust, which leads to that act that indeed is contrary? Several years ago, and you've heard me tell this before, in high school, as it got near the prom time, we had a teacher that would always spend most of his class time the week before the prom lecturing us. It is part of the school spirit. It's part of being a good student. It's part of being a good uh, part of the school. You need to go to the prom. And then he would always put in this footnote. But I know there's some girls that end up pregnant after the, after the prom. But despite all of that, you still ought to go to the prom. Well, that told me something about what he thought the prom would lead to. But here's something else. Another principle that we talked about in Bible class this morning is revelries. Revelries are condemned in that catalog of sin in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21, 1 Peter 4, 3, spending our life doing the will of the Gentiles. What's involved in revelries? Well, let's define revelries. Thayer says it means feast and drinking parties that protracted to late at the night, indulging in revelry. 
Liddell and Scott say that means carousing, merrymaking it with music and dancing. Dancing was not the only thing involved, but it was involved somewhat in the matter of the revelries. Scott's Bible says that revelings were such feasts as were accompanied with music and dancing and whatever could promote hilarity and sensual gratification. Sounds much like the modern dance. All right, what have we seen so far? Our question is, is it a sin to dance? We know what dancing is. We know the appeal and we know the principles that condemn the dance. Let's talk about some arguments that Christians would use to justify that is, there are Christians who see nothing wrong with it. Their children go to the prom, they go to the prom themselves, they go to the dance. They won't condemn the dance, they wouldn't say anything against that. In fact, it's not a popular subject. There was a church where I've held a meeting a number of years ago. This is quite interesting to me. Where, I think I've told this in the pulpit before, where I was told there was a problem with dancing before I got there. Large church, fairly large church. And so I decided to preach on dancing and I announced that Tuesday night I'm going to deal with dancing. And somebody said, you shouldn't announce that because they, they won't like this. And I said, no, I want these elders to know I'm dealing with that on Tuesday. So they've got Monday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday to, to cancel the meeting if they want. But I'm going to preach Tuesday night on dancing. Come Tuesday night, half of the crowd was gone. They didn't want to hear the, the subject of dancing. They didn't, they didn't like the kind of preaching that says this is a sin. They would be the ones who would justify dancing. What kind of justification could be offered? Well, here is one. And that is, people will say, even if it excites others sexually, it doesn't affect me that way I can control my thinking. I can go to the dance, and I can be involved in this close bodily contact. It doesn't excite me in that way. I can have pure thoughts. And so that, 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 that argument just doesn't hold, they tell us. Well, I doubt that's usually the case, that one fully controls their thinking. We often overestimate our strength. Some of those in the world that we quoted from a moment ago said people do not always realize that it's the sexual appeal that's giving it its drive. But even if that's the case, that you're not so affected, what about the one you're with? You say, I can control my thoughts. What about that boy you're with? Or what about that girl you're with? As the case may be. Now let's go further. One said, I can't control what others think. And others may be stirred to excitement as I dance with them, but I can't control what they think. I wonder how far we're willing to go with that kind of reasoning. We'll talk about modesty a little bit later, but let's take that same principle and apply to modesty. I can't control what others think, so I can disrobe myself as fully as I want, and I can't control what other people think. How far are you willing to go with that? I don't think you want to carry that to its full end. Matthew chapter 18 tells us, and we noticed this study in our study last time in our, on drinking, that we are responsible when we influence others in the wrong direction. Woe to those by whom offenses come. And that is, if I lead someone to commit sin, if I'm contributing to them having lust, or if I'm contributing to their illicit concepts, then I bear some responsibility. But perhaps the strongest argument that's made to justify that is that men and women danced in the Bible. And if this were in a formal debate and someone made the argument, can you, don't you know that you can find dancing in the Bible? And the Bible doesn't specifically condemn dancing, but you find examples of dancing. And I'd have to say, well, you're right about that. Men and women did dance in the Bible. There are four categories of dancing that are found in the Bible. There was a religious dance in the Old Testament. Remember Miriam dancing, Exodus 15? Remember that? 2 Samuel chapter 6, David danced, the text said. And those were religious dancing. And that is, 
due to a circumstance of celebration, there was dancing involved. More about that in a moment. There was dancing that was an expression of rejoicing. Let's turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18 and in verse 6. That it happened as they were coming when David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out from all the cities of Israel singing and dancing and they met the king. That's an expression of rejoicing. Well, here's another kind of dancing, and that's the playing of children. Uh, Luke 7, you might turn there to Luke 7, and in verse 32, there was an allusion to a child's game that we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance, and we wept, and you, uh, we mourned for you, and you didn't weep. It seems to allude, most commentators think, to some kind of game where uh, there would be this call and answer. We, we, we played the flute, and you were supposed to respond by dancing. It was a game the, the children played. Well, Job chapter 21, you might turn to Job 21 and in verse 21, or verse 11 rather. Job 21 and verse 11, they, they sent forth their little, uh, little ones like a flock and their children dance. Again, children dancing, the playing of children is mentioned as a dance. There's another dance that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 14 and alluded to in Mark 6, and that was the uh, daughter of Herodias alone was dancing before Herod. That seemed to be, in every respect, some kind of lewd kind of uh, gyration that she performs before him, and it well pleased the drunken king. I don't know of any other kind of dancing that's mentioned in the Bible, and I want to suggest to you the first three of those don't even resemble the dance that we're condemning and talking about tonight. And so someone says, I, I, I want to justify dancing based on the fact the Bible mentions dancing. And those dances were not specifically condemned, at least not in the context. Well, which one of those do you want to put your dance in? Do you think it's a religious dance? That's not what we're talking about. Do you want to put it in the category of just an expression of rejoicing or the playing of children? Well, it doesn't fit any of those three. I'm not talking about those kinds of dancing. Do you want to put it in the category of Salome? I don't think you want to put it there. Let's look at some quotations from several with reference to the dancing in the Bible. Was there dancing in the Bible? And the answer is yes. Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible said concerning dancing, while the mode of dancing is not known in detail, it is clear that men and women did not generally dance together. In fact, you know, go back to Exodus 15. It wasn't that Miriam was dancing with some man or that David was dancing with some woman. So they're correct in that. There was no real evidence that they ever did. Social amusement was hardly a major purpose in dancing. The modern method of, of dancing by couples is unknown. In other words, they're saying, from our studies of the text, we don't find anything like the modern dance in the Bible. The ISBE, that's International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, women seemingly seem generally to have danced by themselves. Of social dancing of couples in modern fashion, there is no trace. In other words, we don't find that in the Bible. It hadn't been found there at all. Here's an Encyclopedia Botanica talking about the art of dance. There is no evidence of couples dancing together, however. Uh, that was to happen much later. In other words, it's not found in Bible times or in ancient times, probably in the province in about the 12th century. And so that came along much later. We're not finding that concept in the Bible. So what have we done tonight? We tried to answer the question, is it a sin? We answered the question last week, is it a sin to drink? And the answer is yes. Is it a sin to dance? In this sense, yes. 
So we raise the question, what is dancing? We're talking about that close bodily contact of males and females in the modern dance. What's the appeal? It's a sexual appeal. What principles are violated? Lasciviousness, fleeing lust, fleeing fornication, revelries. We've seen the arguments that are made to justify that do not fit and do not justify dancing at all. There may be one or more present this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins and acknowledge your faith and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and sing?